In September 2022, Capital News Illinois, Lee Enterprises, Midwest, and ProPublica published the first installment of what's become an investigative series entitled Culture of Cruelty. Our Beth Hunsdorfer and her reporting partner on this project, Molly Parker, had spent months gathering the sources and documents for that story, which unearthed a culture of abuse at Schott Mental Health and Developmental Center in Anna. Beth and Molly have written nine other Schott-related stories since that time, all of them documenting some level of abuse at the state-run facility and attempts by staff to cover up the alleged abuse. While their reporting has had an instant and sustained impact on readers, this week we saw the impact manifested in an announcement by the state that major changes are coming to the facility. This is not something you can snap your fingers and fix. You can hold people accountable. You can arrest people who are breaking the law, and that's been done. Now the question is, how do you change fundamentally the way that SODCs and SHOT are operating and treating their people going forward? And that's what this is part of, right? Making sure that we have a a real plan going forward. And that's what has been worked on literally for quite some time now. And even before the reporting came out, but now the reporting has been helpful. And I said that yesterday in an interview that you, know, you guys perform a, an important job. You know, Molly Parker, the, the others who, who have been reporting on this have, have performed an important duty. We don't know everything all the time. And so when people are reporting to, the, uh, to reporters about it uh, and not bringing it to us and it comes out in the news, that's another way for us to find out. Today, I'm lucky enough to be joined by the all-star reporting duo themselves. Molly, Beth, welcome to Capital Cast. Thanks, Jerry. Hi, Jerry. Okay, so I'm going to start with Beth. Uh, she joined our team at Capital News Illinois in November 2021 and just immediately began digging into state government. I've, I've learned a lot from you, Beth. Um, what can you tell us about the situation at Choate? Uh, how the investigative process plays out, uh, just in general, and how you and Molly came to be working together on this one. Well, we had um, seen this uh, even before I joined Capital News. We had seen some criminal charges down at of administrators at Shout and and others, and it, it sort of had me wondering, like, if I get a chance, I want to look into this. And then there had come some daily stories about the progression of the criminal cases. And I thought it would be a really great idea to, to, to start slicing the onion and peeling back the layers and figuring out what was happening down there. And I kept, as I started talking to sources and talking to people, I kept hearing Molly's name. And I knew that it would probably be better to get us in a collaboration instead of a competition, um, because there were a lot of things that both of us could bring to the table if we were working together. So I proposed it to the powers that be at Capital News, and they gave happily gave me the nod, and um, we decided to work together. And, you know, like I said, I, I was in a reporting uh, partnership for years at the News Democrat. I think re- investigative reporting just works better if there's a team. Um, so so I was I was thrilled to be working with Molly. Yeah, and I'll, I'll have Molly touch on that, too. But one of the things that has sort of been really uh, stuck with me is just the level of time investment, the level of 
sort of commitment to the story that you have. Um, and we were, you know, obviously able to give you because of the uh, the resources we have at Capital News Illinois that a lot of newsrooms don't. Um, so you sort of had that time and, and you really sunk your teeth into this. Um, Molly, what can you tell us about, you know, what you do with that time in terms of FOIAs? Uh, has the state been responsive to you getting those documents? Are you going to courthouses? What are you doing to uh, get the information uh, that's that's manifested in these stories? I'm sorry about my dog. Um, yes, it's definitely a all of the above approach. So, and it really is a team approach works great because uh, you have two people sending FOIAs and two people with legs and feet on the ground and, uh, and talking to sources, you know, where Beth might have a source in one location, I might have another in another location, both being able to give us pointers, tips, direction. Um, so that was extremely helpful. You know, we have filed, I, I hate to put a number on it to the Department of Human Services that operates showed, I would say, at least 30 FOIAs, probably closer to 50 by now, um, received hundreds of pages worth of records that we've sorted through. Uh, Beth and I separately and together have spent hours at the Union County Courthouse where show is located. Uh, you know, there's not really a good way to, it's not like, you know, this number we put on the number of people arrested, 49 since 2015 is incredible. 49 people at one workplace would be, I think, a red flag for anyone at any workplace. Um, and, and to find the people who had been arrested, both patients and staff, uh, there's not like a database of that. So we had to go create it ourselves by looking through certain types of charges and weeding out those that weren't related to show from those that were. So it's just been a, re a really long and incredible uh, effort to dig up various pieces of the puzzle and put them all together. So um, both uh, Illinois Department of Human Services Director Grace Ho and Governor Pritzker have credited the reporting for bringing a lot of this to light. But I wonder, as we were in the initial process of digging into this, was there resistance from state agencies to release the documents that we eventually received? Um, were they helpful? Were they saying, oh, thank you, we didn't know about this? Or what was the response there, uh, you know, before some of these major stories had the impact that they did? I think it was pretty rote. I mean, government agencies are asked for documents all the time. And in and, and FOIA officers are probably the unsung, unsung heroes of state government. I think that over time, of course, every FOIA office, every agency is going to tell you that their FOIA office is overwhelmed. Um, but I think they were fairly responsive. Um, I think, you know, I, I'm not sure that they were able, we got we're lucky enough that we were looking at this issue at this facility that we were able to really drill down on it. We're not running a whole state agency. We're running, we're looking at one facility that has this particular issue. So um, we're able to take a laser and look at the things that our sources from inside and outside the facility are telling us are happening. So Molly, readers and listeners have had months to sort of digest your original reporting. Some of them may have seen it in their local newspapers or wherever, um, but it was only yesterday that these changes were announced to the facility. Um, Molly, what can you tell us about what changes are, are going to be taking place? The most recent changes that the 
Governor uh, J.B. Pritzker and his IDHS Secretary Grace Ho announced is a relocation beginning immediately, uh, the process beginning immediately of 123 residents with developmental disabilities who live in what they call civil units, which means they are not there uh, with any involvement in the criminal courts or anything like that. Um, they are there voluntarily, either on their own, they have sought placement there or through a guardian. Many of them have uh, court uh, named guardians to help them take care of their personal uh, business. Um, so those are the folks that they're looking at moving first. They'll have about three years, we're told, to get that done. Um, and then there's another 112 folks there who have developmental disabilities but are in what they call specialty units. And some of them are court involved, um, which complicates uh, the issue. They can't just move out into the community setting until they have fulfilled the requirements of their court mandated treatment. Um, but I think that the secretary did tell us that some number of those folks will probably also transition over a period of time. And I think it's important to understand how people come into care. Um, you know, sometimes they're living with family, um, their condition is exacerbated, they have a violent outburst and attack, the, attack a caregiver or damage property, and the police get called, right? So then, then it's um, the court gets involved and they're not in a place where they can go to IDOC or stay in a county jail. So they're committed to a facility like show. And both of you have talked to some parents of the, the uh, residents of that facility. Um, can either of you go into a little bit of detail as to the type of uh, the level of difficulty uh, some of these residents who've known Choate as their home for their whole lives maybe uh, are going to face in relocation? I think it's a it, it's a really emotional issue when you shut down or, or downsize or ask folks to move out of a facility. Uh, like this. It's been tried in Illinois and and been done over the last decade. I think the last time was in Jacksonville, not too far from show a couple hours north. Um, there are, you know, as you can imagine, folks have been there for years. I spoke to a parent whose adult son has lived there since he was 21. He's now 53. Um, so, you know, even if there are difficulties and problems inside the facility, that is still their home. Um, these are folks who have diagnoses of developmental disabilities. And so change can be really unsettling. Um, they also just, the life they live is the one they know. And so, you know, there's a lot of things going on that I think uh, make this a really difficult issue for people. There's also the question of where do they go? Um, they are giving them three years. Uh, it, it does sound like they're taking a measured approach and trying to learn lessons from what happened in Jacksonville when they were trying to move folks very quickly. And then we saw stories not long after that, um, investigative stories out of the Tribune showing that, you know, for some of the folks who moved, they end up falling through the cracks in community settings um, because the state had not, you know, even though most research suggests that people, uh, most people can live in a community setting with the right supports. Um, if your system isn't well-funded and set up to help those folks, that really, really tragic things can happen. Um, so I think that there's a lot of concern and angst coming from parents, guardians, and loved ones, and probably even from some residents themselves, even though we hear from advocates who go into the facility and talk to these folks that most who are able to uh, verbalize their desires do want to leave and live in a, in a community-type setting. 
think that's understandable, but the, the act of actually doing something that you've never done or haven't done for decades is, you know, daunting. So um, I think that it's going to take a lot of time and hopefully we'll see the state give this the attention it needs and help with helping people find appropriate settings. It's, I think that's one of the biggest tragedies in this is that families have been forced to choose um, security and safety over their loved ones um, in exchange for care. Um, you know, it is difficult to say the least to know um, how these transitions will work out. They're so disruptive to people who um, maybe don't have all the coping skills that, that you know, we do. And I, I think it's very, it's a struggle to be able, one, to find a place, and two, to find a place where they're going to be safe and happy and reach their, their capabilities, their highest capabilities. So one of the things, one of the questions you had posed to, to IDHS Secretary Grace Ho when I asked the governor earlier this week is why the impetus for moving residents of this facility while letting the administrators of it keep their jobs uh, Beth, you had mentioned earlier, our very first reporting in Deschotes uh, was sort of in, about criminal cases against administrators that you'd been following. Who are those administrators? Where did those cases go? Just what can you tell us about, you know, who the administrators are right now at that facility? Um, the administrators right now are Brian Davis and uh, the Quality Assurance Manager, Gary Goins. They were both... Um, indicted by Union County Grand Jury for official misconduct in connection with an abuse case. Those charges were eventually dismissed and um, they returned to their jobs. The decision has been made um, by the secretary to, to leave them in charge, uh, leave them in their jobs at the facility, um, which they were removed for what, from when the criminal charges were pending, sorry. Um, and she has decided to stick with the administrators um, in this case. She said that now is the time for stability. Pritzker has said, I'm going to back up my secretary's decision. I'm going to defer to her judgment. And, um, you know, it's it's difficult to say. I It's hard to change a culture. And there will be a lot of people that say a culture change starts with the top. I think it's been well documented that there's a culture of cover-up that exists at Choate. Um, the agency's watchdog has said it time and time again. But, you know, we are not the boots on the ground there. It, whether this will, um, this transition will work with that, I, I have to defer to the, the secretary. I think she, she is the one who has all the information. I do want to note on this topic, I think it's interesting that the governor said at yesterday's press conference, um, you know, certainly appreciate that he, uh, thanked the press for their, you know, doing our role as watchdog journalists. Um, he said, you know, sometimes the reporters, things come to reporters that don't come to us. And I think there's an important clarification on that, which is, uh, you know, ties back into your question, which is actually everything Beth and I did, uh, the, the meat of our reporting was based on records um, at courthouses and at IDHS, but IDHS would have been made aware of every single case we covered um, there's no way that any of those uh, incident reports weren't uh, didn't go up through the chain of command through the facility directors and to um, you know IDHS officials. Some of these things certainly predate the current secretary, but whoever was in those roles had all of that information and information we were not privileged to access, which is people who were not the, that the agency's inspector general did not substantiate for abuse 
because uh, oftentimes, sometimes they were just flat out false, you know, false allegations or someone with an ax to grind. But but sometimes the, I, the IG would note that they just weren't able to conclude an outcome that something unusual did happen, an unexplained injury that no one can uh, has any information about and that people were not cooperative in the investigation. Uh, those records were not, uh, like, while we could see that their outcome uh, was that they were sort of on the fence about what had happened, uh, we could receive that. We were not privy to the details of the allegations uh, because state law doesn't allow them to release unsubstantiated allegations. So I would just note that they have information beyond even what we have. Um, we got just the tip of it. And so, um, you know, I think it's interesting that they, that they've, gone that route and also kind of at least from the governor's standpoint tried to say at arm's length like well we didn't know some of this and now the governor may not have but his right it's just difficult it's difficult to say how granular they got with it but there are i mean the office of the inspector general there's a a, a board that reviews all those investigations and uh, that is appointed by the governor so um it is kind of that was a bit of a head scratcher, but, um, you know, I think we did have um, the benefit of having people who were inside the facility kind of telling us what to look for. Um, and don't don't forget, like, it's only a small number of those um, investigations that we highlighted in our reporting that we had access to. And there, we know just through our reporting, there are hundreds of, there's an infinite number of ways to kill a kill an investigation into abuse and neglect before it ever reaches the OIG. Well, and one of the things that was interesting to me, and not to belabor this point, but certainly if if there's a stopper between the governor and the stuff that's happening at Shote, uh, you one would assume that it's at the level of facility manager or somewhere around that point, right? Like if it's if it's getting to the facility manager, but not beyond that point, um, well, the, the undersecretary for developmental, I, I'm not sure what the title is, um, the person who is under Grace Ho that runs all the developmental disabilities uh, programs, she certainly would have had access to all the OIG accounts. There should have been, I mean, I think the reason why you saw this particular um, storm come together was you had a new director of security as opposed to um, the one who had been there for 20 years, you had a new state's attorney and you had an, a new OIG that were in that that those positions. So I think all those things kind of came together at one time and, and was a, a storm of good fortune, I guess, to be able to start peeling back what was going on there. I don't, and I don't think it's a secret in the community what's happening there. I was really surprised yesterday when Max Miller said, oh, yeah, I knew about the abuse out there. I mean, he, he kind of said it was it was contract workers and people from outside the county that were responsible for it and people who were just going to work there for a paycheck. But I think this is a, the biggest little secret in um, Union County. And for our listeners, Max Miller, I believe uh, you reported was a county board member out there. Yeah, he's a county board chairman in Union County. Okay. Oh, so there's there was a another when when you two spoke to uh, Grace Ho earlier this week, the state announced that they they'd be adding another layer of potential uh, oversight at Shote. Um, who is that person? Uh, what is their job going to entail? That's Ryan Thomas was joined us at the interview. Uh, she's the correct me if I have this title wrong, Beth. I believe it's the Chief Resident Security Officer or Safety Officer. 
Um, she is. A, and is she, that, pardon me, is that uh, uh, for all of the developmental right. facilities or just show? For all of them, she'll be based in Chicago. She she was currently with IDHS. I mean, she was already working for IDHS in another role, but this is a full-time job she's taking on, leaving her other role. Um, she, the way she described her job to us is that she would be looking at like the practices that are in place now and what reforms might be needed to, you know, enhance the review of, you know, when an allegation comes in, there's a hotline that IDHS operates, everyone uh, that works at showed is mandated if they know of any allegation to report it uh, within a certain amount of time. And so I think she's gonna be looking at some of those processes that, that are in place and how the security departments at each facility operate, um, You know, how what is the chain of command when an allegation is made. Um, so it is a new position. I think it's kind of yet to be seen sort of devil in the details kind of thing as to how effective it will be. Um, but they did name someone to take a look across the SODC system at um, safety and security related issues, um, including the reporting of abuse and neglect allegations. And I think I think she's got a lot to work on. Um, you know, we saw when we first started doing the reporting, we talked to Steve Hartline, who is the mayor of Anna and also had a dual role as the um manager of security it showed um and a lot of people who come into the security positions come from that culture they're they're um mental health technicians or, or security aides and um they come in from that direct care physician uh, position to being the first line in investigating abuse and neglect cases so Again, is that is the culture of cover up? Is it carrying through the direct caregivers into the security department? I I don't know. Right. So, final point we'll make here is you know anytime there's a mad uh, a drastic shift at a facility like this, uh, you're um, you have a lot of union workers involved in Illinois certainly. So I wonder we've already seen some pushback from the unions. Uh, what role are they going to play? Will they be powerful enough to maybe uh, stall or waylay the state's new plan? Or maybe you can't speculate on that just yet. I mean, I think we certainly saw that happen at Murray. Um, there were um, the union joined forces with legislators like Charlie Meyer and and the, the parents group to kind of halt that closure. Um so I think it remains to be seen. Um, this is a little different because it, it is sort of a restructuring. And yes, the union is going to be a powerful influence. Um, and the, the union could be a powerful influence to change the culture of the workers that, that stay on. Yeah, and I think some people may be surprised to learn that the union still carries a really heavy weight, even in a in a rural and Southern Illinois now, uh, highly Republican area. Um, unions, because these these centers are such important economic uh, participants, you know, economic drivers in our communities. You'll see Republicans teaming up with unions uh, to protect them. You know, so it, it's it's a different dynamic than I think you see in some other states. And I think there's been a lot of questions about why Illinois has um, 
you know, has so many of these larger developmental centers and, and psychiatric hospitals when many, many states have far fewer beds or have completely gotten rid of them. Um, Illinois is progressive on a lot of fronts, but on this topic nationally, they're not. Uh, so I think that the unions are a, a piece of it, certainly. So as I noted earlier, the governor and uh, both the IDHS secretary had sort of said, you know, the, the these changes are accelerated by the reporting that's come to light. Beth, uh, you've been an re investigative reporter uh, for most of your career in journalism. What can you say about the importance of that role in journalism in general? Well, um, newsrooms around the country have had to um, scale back and tighten their belts. We know this. Um, and, and part investigative reporting is expensive and it is a marathon. It's not a sprint. So um, we're really lucky to be able to bring investigative reporting to through Mali and through Capital News to be able to get get it to small papers all over the state and all over the country. So um, it, it's important um, we give a voice to the people who don't have one. And um, I hope through this reporting, we have been um, able to protect vulnerable people and make them a little safer tomorrow than they were yesterday. Right. And Lee Enterprises is, of course, one of Capital News Illinois' uh, partners that we distribute our stuff to. Uh, we, we always enjoy working with them seeing their reporters uh, at the state capitol here. And we're also grateful for uh, the investments that ProPublica has made in this effort. And of course, the Robert R. McCormick Foundation and Illinois Press Foundation and even the Illinois Broadcasters uh, Foundation that have all contributed to Capital News Illinois to sort of allow us to make this type of investment in local journalism. So Molly and Beth, I always enjoy speaking with you, and I enjoy the level of passion you have in uh, the stories that you cover. So thank you for joining me today. Thanks. So that's going to do it for this edition of Capital Cast, a regular podcast of Capital News Illinois. As always, thank you for listening.